Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com or send us a text message at 209-340-3115. Have an amazing rest of your day. We're going to get into this message, all right? I'm excited for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and I, I just before I start, we're talking about God's ideal. We're in this... Uh, this uh, series titled In the Beginning. And what we've seen is God's creation. And this sets the stage for Genesis through Revelation. We're talking about Genesis chapter one through chapter four, laying the foundation. And we're looking at God's design, not just for creation, but today for marriage. And before I jump in, I just wanna recognize that for a lot of this, uh, this is gonna be a very sensitive issue. Because maybe some of us, we've always wanted to be married and we're not married. Maybe we once were married and now we're divorced. Maybe we've lost our spouse. Maybe our marriage is really struggling. So there's so many different areas where this can just bring up trigger points. And I just want to be sensitive of that. To take that a step further, uh, we're talking about a marriage between a husband and wife. And for some of us, we've got friends, we've got family members that are living a completely different lifestyle. And so before I dive in and read the word of God, I just want you to know that today's message, as always, is motivated by love. I want to share God's word unapologetically because I love you, but I also want you to to sense a, a real heartfelt compassion, a real heartfelt sensitivity for the struggles in this room and those watching online. And then at the the end of the day, thirdly, uh, I want to unapologetically preach the truth. Because the one person at the end of the day that I want to honor is the person that had this book written and that inspired it, and that's God himself. And so today I'm not talking about what I think, how I feel. I'm talking about God's word. If you're single today, I believe this message is going to really, really encourage you. And what we're talking about is God's design for marriage before the fall, the way he intended it to still be today. With that said, let me pray for us and we will dive in. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we need you. And God, we pray that right now you would soften our hearts, that you would open our hearts, that we would be once again Christians that not only hear your word, receive your word, that live out your word. And God, for those that are hurting today, for those that are struggling, for those that are wounded, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. And that you would heal us, that you would restore us, that you would change us, that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us then maybe you would give us a perspective that's desperately needed today. And God, I pray for your help. I pray for for just a soft heart and a bold heart and a heart that would ultimately honor you. God, take over my mind, my mouth, my heart. God, have your way in our lives today. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 2, 18 to 25 is where we're going to be at today. And what I want us to see is I want us to see three specific points when it comes to God's design, God's design for marriage. If you have your message notes, take those out. There's going to be a lot of information today, and we're going to jump in uh, right now with point number one. Point number one is simply this. God creates and determines the ideal helper. God creates and determines the ideal helper. Think about it just for a second. Here's Adam. He's in the garden. Everything's perfect. He has the great environment. Uh, 
he couldn't want anything else and wasn't that enough, not according to God. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 2, 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had firmed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so here we see prior to this in chapter one of Genesis, we see that God created and after God created, every time it says that God said, and it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. This is the first time in Genesis where God says, it is not good that man should be alone. He needs a companion. He needs a helper. And men, let's admit, we need a whole lot of help, right? And all the ladies said, amen, right? Some of you ladies are like, you need a whole lot of help with an arrow to your husband right now. Um, but as, as much help as we need, we need to understand that this does not mean in any way, shape, or form that men are superior to women. It's a suitable person for the man. This was the missing piece. I don't know how many of you uh, like to do puzzles. I love to do puzzles. Some of you like to do the thousand piece, 500 piece. I like the nine piece puzzles. They're a lot easier, right? Um, but you get the puzzles out and you, you do them. And sometimes you go to a cabin or whatever. You get away for a weekend and you spend hours doing a puzzle and you're almost done. And then you realize there's one piece missing. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world? Like you, you spend all this time and, and here's Adam and God knows that there's one missing piece to this puzzle. He needs somebody that will compliment him. So what does he do? He creates the ideal helper in Eve. Now, let me just be perfectly clear. Our spouse, the person that God's created, who, whoever that is, is to compliment us, not complete us. Only one person can complete us, and that's Jesus Christ. In other words, you can be single and be complete, all right? Because only Jesus can forgive us. Only Jesus can heal us. Only Jesus can give us life. Only Jesus can allow us to experience his grace, his forgiveness. So Jesus will complete us. The ideal helper has been meant to complement us. And that's the first thing that we see in the scriptures is that God had a plan for Adam. It wasn't good for him to be alone. And he creates the ideal helper. Second of all, in your notes, I want us to see that God creates and designates two genders, male and female, only two before the fall. Again, we see that, why, why didn't he make Eve out of dust? He made Adam out of dust. Uh, why didn't he do this? We, we don't really know. Um, maybe it was to let Adam know that, that Eve was literally part of him. In Ephesians chapter five, it says that, um, a man is to cherish his wife as his own flesh. And this is what it says in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that he, uh, the Lord had taken from him, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I, I, I love this. Here's 
here's this word that made in the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's the Lord fashioned this woman, literally built into a, a creature that would meet every one of Adam's needs. Uh, she was absolutely beautiful. In fact, husbands, right now, if you're sitting next to your wives, turn to your wife right now and just say, you're beautiful. That was pathetic, guys. <laughs> just going to be honest. That was horrible. Some of you are like, beautiful. This is what you should have done. Sweetheart, you are beautiful. All right. Some of you got some work to do. Here's um, God. He makes Eve. She's absolutely beautiful. And he falls into his deep sleep, wakes up. There's Eve. She's not into a wedding. She's not in a wedding dress. She's naked. Like that was just awesome. Right. And so she's not taken out of Adam's head to rule over him, not taken out of his foot to be trampled on, taken out of his side because she's equal. And yet Adam is promptly finishing his work by naming her. And this is what he says. Um, Go ahead and go. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, or as I say, whoa, man, because she was taken out of man. Here's God brought Adam as he divinely crafted this perfect gift to make his needs. Two distinct and only two genders, male and female, that God created to reflect the image of God. Like this is what makes humans different from animals. Uh, there's animals that are created, humans are created, two different genders, so that we can reflect the image of God, the Imago Dei. Like so that, that an invisible God can be visible through the way that we live our lives. And this plan of two different genders, and only two, was before the fall. We see it here, we see it back in Genesis chapter one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter five, after the fall, it says, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when he created. Now, where do we go wrong when it comes to genders? Where does our culture get this wrong when it comes to people that want to be identified as a different gender, when people want to change their gender, when people want to have a gender that's fluid, when they want to have a gender that's not male or female, but something else? Where do we go wrong? I believe there's three different reasons, and you can write these in your notes. Where do we go wrong? Number one is we're persuaded by culture. We're persuaded by culture. The world tells us who we are and what we're supposed to be, and it's constantly changing. Culture is constantly trying to redefine truth. And this is why we have to go back to God's word that never changes before the fall and understand God's ideal plan for creation, two genders, male and female. And here's where it's changed over the last several years. And and I know many of you see this. Um, When it comes to people wanting to change their genders and identify as a different sex, it used to be accepted and then it was uh, encouraged now we live in a culture where it's praised. Like it, it, it is praised for you to, to live a different gender than what you were born with. And we're seeing this in movie stars. We're seeing this in professional athletes. We're seeing this in college athletes now. And if we're not careful, we're allowing culture 
to define what's right and wrong. Culture does not define what's right and wrong, what's true, what's right. Only God's word does. And if we're not careful, where we go wrong, we're persuaded by culture. Second of all, we're persuaded by and driven by feelings. If we're not careful, we can allow our feelings to drive us. And we can say, I, I, I'm a man and I feel like I'm trapped, but I'm really a woman. Or I'm a woman and I feel like I'm a man. And if we're not careful, we can allow our feelings to, to drive us. And allow us to make decisions, even though we have no baseline for those feelings. You know, if, if, if I lived out the way I felt, let me just be real honest with you, I'd be in prison right now. No, here's why. Here, here, here's why. There are people that rub me the wrong way. There are people that tick me off. And there are times I just want to smack people. That's how I feel, right? I would be doing prison ministry from the inside. You'd be like, hey, let's go see Pastor Jeremy. You would be visiting me. I wouldn't be visiting you, right? When we are motivated and driven by our feelings, we often will do things that we regret. In fact, I will tell people, hey, don't make decisions based upon how you feel. Make decisions based upon what you know and who you know. The word of God that's never changing. But we go wrong when we're persuaded by culture, driven by feelings, and then finally when we're influenced by relationships. And this is the one that, that's really hard and really sensitive, that we'll believe what the Bible says until maybe one of our kids uh, believes something else contrary to the word of God, or we've got a friend that believes something contrary to the word of God. And so we tend to want to change what we believe based upon relationships instead of the unchanging word of God. Now, let me just speak to parents just for a moment. Parents, I just want to encourage you, as young as it's appropriate, um, and I would say it's getting young, you need to attack this younger and younger and younger. Talk to your kids about biblical marriage. Talk to kids about their biblical identity in Jesus Christ, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a male, what it means to be a female. Because if we're not careful, all of our conversations will revolve around two things. The two S's, sports and school. Hey, as long as you do good in sports, and as long as you do good in school, that's all that matters. And yet our kids are hearing so many different messages from the culture, and the culture is not holding back. So mom and dad, why would we? Our culture is telling our kids, hey, it doesn't matter how, how you feel, what you want to be. I mean, it's being affirmed uh, with different da days where you're, you know, just be whatever gender you want, like... It's absolutely crazy and disgusting what's taking on in place of our schools today. So moms and dads, take time to, to sit down and talk to your kids. When you're watching a movie, don't wait till they're eight, nine years old. When they're two years old, you start talking about, hey, notice how that kid was disrespectful of mom and dad? Like that was wrong. And then you're going to begin to see things when they're five, six years old and, and two maybe girls holding hands or something that's inappropriate. You pause and you talk about it. You pause and you talk about it. Why? Because you want to train your kids to have a biblical worldview. It's not about what the culture says. It's not about how you feel. It's not going about what's going on in the relationships around you. At the end of the day, what does the Bible say? Filter everything through that. And moms and dads, some of you may feel today, you know, I just, I don't feel comfortable. Get comfortable. Get comfortable having those conversations. Some of you may think, well, I just don't know what to, to say. Talk to us, we'll help you. 
we will help you. There is a war taking place after your kids and after your grandkids. And this is what's gonna win the war right here. God's word. God's word. God created the ideal helper, creates two genders, and then thirdly, God creates and describes true marriage. True, true marriage. Now, when you get married and you decide to get married, if you're single, um, maybe potentially ready to get engaged, everything changes. If you're a guy, you don't go and hang out with the guys every night. If you're a gal, you don't go and hang out with your friends. It's Jesus Christ is number one and then your spouse. And if you're not ready for that, don't get married. Don't get married. This is a life-changing, lifelong commitment. And this is what... The Bible says, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. People, somebody once asked me, Jeremy, what's your life verse? And I said, Genesis 2.25. And they looked it up and, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Whoop, whoop, right? Just throwing that out there, all right? Um, Notice what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, not wives, one singular wife for the rest of his life. That's God's design for marriage. One biological male, one biological female together for the rest of our lives. Now, there's so many different arguments that people will have uh, against this. Sometimes people will say, well, Jesus never said anything um, against a homosexual lifestyle. If you are looking for loopholes, I would say, you're right, Jesus never did. Jesus also never said anything about pornography. Jesus never, never said anything about bestiality. He never, never said anything about drugs. He never said anything about rape. What Jesus did do is he did affirm biblical marriage in the Gospels. And we're gonna look at that verse in just a couple moments. But to say that Jesus never said anything about something is a very weak and pathetic argument because we know what he stands for. Now, I wanna walk through three components of a healthy marriage. Three components of a healthy marriage. And if you're single, boy, this is, this is great stuff right here in the scriptures. If you're engaged, even if you're married, you may realize, man, I gotta do some of these stuff. Uh, the first one is simply leaving. You're, you're leaving your mother and father. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, Adam didn't have to do that. Why? Because he didn't have a earthly mom and dad. But what God is saying is that the primary relationship when you get married is no longer mom. It's no longer dad. It's no longer your parents. It is your spouse. That means everything needs to change. It's all about prioritizing our spouse over our job, over our kids, over our friends, over our hobbies. Now you can, let me just be clear. You can leave your mom and dad and still live right down the street. You can. Because your primary responsibility is your spouse. You can move to Japan and be calling your mom or your dad every moment of the day and really not leave. It has nothing to do with physical proximity. It has to do with, hey, the primary relationship when I get married is now my spouse because I have left my mom 
and dad. And parents that, of, of children that are getting married or that have gotten married, let me just speak bluntly to you. You will either hurt or hinder this process. Or hurt or help this process. Hurt or hinder, that means you're doing both things wrong. Uh, you're either gonna help or hinder this process. And this is what I mean by, by that. If you're encouraging them to come and talk to you first before they talk to their spouse, you're not helping them leave. If you're constantly telling them what to do, constantly telling them um, that you, you need them, that you desire them, that this is really hard on you, you are not encouraging them to live out the scriptures. So here's what happens when your son or daughter calls you and they're newly married and they say, hey, we're going through this difficult time. You pause and say, hey, have you talked to your spouse first? And if they haven't, you say, go back and talk to your spouse. If they show up at your door after an argument and they're like, oh, things aren't going well and we got into an argument, uh, can, I, can I just stay here at home? You hug them and you say, this is no longer your home. You go home to your spouse. Like there is something powerful about a mom and a dad that are helping their kids live this out. So the first thing is leaving. Second of all is cleaving. Cleaving. What does cleave mean? It means to, to cling. It means to, to hold. He shall leave his father and mother and hold uh, fast to his wife. It's, it's, it's like not painter's tape, not duct tape. How many of you have seen that stuff called gorilla tape? Yes, that stuff is absolutely amazing. Once you put it together, it ain't coming apart to literally become one. Because here's what's going to happen in the world we're going to be throwing stuff at us where everything is going to try to pull us apart. Kids are going to try to pull you apart. Finances are going to try to pull you apart. Other people are going to try to pull you apart. And that's where God gave this gift of the, the two shall become one, this gift of, of sexual intimacy. And God gives us this, this amazing gift of sexual intimacy only within the context of a marriage between a biological man and a biological woman. Everything outside of that is considered sexual immorality. But there's this, this beautiful thing, and God created sex, and it's good in the context of, of marriage and to be enjoyed and to be pleasurable. And as I say that, I just want to tell you, if you're married and you and your spouse are struggling with your sex life or there's some challenges going on and you need to talk to your doctor or you need to talk to a counselor, don't, don't hesitate to do that because God created this wonderful, beautiful gift. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 10. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Again, this is intended to be a lifelong commitment. We see leaving, we see cleaving, and lastly, thirdly, we see weaving. We see weaving. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, Solomon put it this way, uh, that two are better than one, and then he goes on and says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's amazing the strength of our marriage when we are weaving together with our spouse and with the Lord, uh, a cord of three strands is not quickly, quickly and easily broken. Now, if I could describe it, I would describe it this way. Marriage is like a triangle. You got the husband and wife here at the bottom, and you got God up here at the top. And the closer you get to God, the closer 
you will get to each other. Now, where does marriage go wrong? When somebody starts falling away from God, because when they fall away from God, what happens? They fall away from their spouse. And when both of them start falling away from God, they get farther and farther apart. That's why it's so important for us on a regular basis to make sure God is the greatest priority in our lives. Now, a warning, parents. We need to make sure that we have our greatest priority be God and that we are forming our life around our marriage and not other things. Because here's often what happens. Men will make their greatest priority their job. Women will make their greatest priority their kids. The kids move out of the house. And what happens? You've got a husband and wife that have to reintroduce themselves because their number one priority has not been their, their marriage. The greatest thing you can do for your kids, young and old, is make sure they know and that you live out your marital relationship as your second priority outside of your relationship with God. Now, here's how I want to end this message. I want to talk about uh, a specific question. And this is in your notes. How do we respond to a culture embracing worldviews different than how God created us? How do we respond when we've got um, people in our lives that are living a life of homosexuality, that are been born a man, but now they want to have a sex change. Like, like how, do we, how, do we, how do we do that? And I believe there's three principles in the life of Jesus that we always need to keep in mind. Number one is simply this, love. We, that, we, that we love them. However we respond, the motivation has to be love. Um, one of the things I want you to know when you come here to Shelter Cove is that you're deeply loved. You're deeply loved by God. No matter where you're at, you, you are deeply loved by God. And boy, you're deeply loved by me. And if I find out something about you different than when you came, I'm gonna love you just the same when you leave. Our love for you will not change here at Shelter Cove. Um, now, when you say you love people, I think there's a lot of people that have a false understanding of love. Love does not mean enablement. That is not love. In fact, I don't even know what that is. Uh, love is not enablement. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and yet at the same time, he did not tolerate sin. And so, so our motivation has to be love, but point two in your notes is there, there has to be truth. There, there has to be truth. I think about the woman at the well. In John chapter four, John, Jesus is talking to this woman at the well and um, he offers her living water and he says to her, go home and tell your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right, I know. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man that you're with right now is not your husband. Like Jesus never compromised the truth. The, the woman that was caught in adultery, like he, uh, he, he has all these guys that are ready to, to throw stones at her and he starts drawing something down in the sand and one at a time they walk away and he looks at this woman and says, where are your accusers? And she says, nowhere. And he says, I don't condemn you either. But then he says this, he says, go and sin no more. Some translations say, go and leave your life of sin. What did Jesus do? He called sin, sin. And so don't miss that. 
you can completely love someone and still speak 100% of the truth at the same time. And that's where I think there's a, a, a huge struggle in the Christian community because I think a lot of times we wanna say we love people, we just enable them, or we speak all the truth in the world, but, but there's no motivation for love. Let me just say this, some of you have zero tact. Zero. You're more concerned about winning an argument than you are a person. And then others of you have, you have a ton of tact, but you speak zero truth. What are we called to? Both. It's called truth in love. Truth in love. Um, now, now why, why is this such an important issue near and dear to my heart? Um, because this is the issue, marriage and sexual identity, that churches are splitting over. They're not splitting over, you know, we disagree on stealing. Not splitting over the issue of murder. They're not splitting over the issue of pride. Biblical marriage. Sexual identity. In fact, a lot of times people will ask me, Pastor Jeremy, I'm, I'm moving to wherever and out of state and I'm looking for a church. Do you know of any good churches? And I'll say, I, I don't, but here's what to look for. Number one, that it's a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And one of the best ways to know if they are is what's their view on marriage. Because if it's not between a male and a female, they're not a Bible-teaching church and they're gonna be off in a whole lot of other areas. So what do we do? It's all about love, it's about truth, and then lastly, it's, it's a, a whole lot of grace. A, a whole lot of grace. And this is grace towards people that are struggling with sin, and this is grace towards people that are indulging in a life of sin. And I said it last week, I wanna say it again, it is totally different to be struggling with sin, and it is totally different to be living a life where you are indulging in sin. And, and this, is, this is something I'm dealing with. Over the last couple of years, I had a conversation with a family member. Um, and listen to this individual for quite a, a while on their stance on so many of these different topics. And this individual said, you probably don't agree with a lot of what I said. And I said, no, I don't agree with most of what you said. But I looked at this family member in the eyes and said, but I still love you just the same. People need to know where you stand, but they need to know that, that you love him. And, and, and here's where, where we need to uh, extend a whole lot of grace is the way we respond as followers of Jesus Christ uh, may be a little bit different. All right, this is a very difficult issue. It's hard, it's complex. As a church, we're still trying to, to figure out uh, some of these things. I think one of the worst things that we can do is, is, is compromise the scriptures. But what if you're invited to a wedding for a gay couple? What do you do? Uh, come back next week because Pastor Scott's going to answer that question, all right? Um, he, here's just a couple thoughts. Again, want to be super sensitive, um, especially if you're mom and dad and you're facing that reality with your daughter or son or a grandparent. Um, I mean, the reality is it's, it's not a marriage. Marriage is between a husband and a wife. Um, Here's my, my personal stance on this, especially as a pastor, is that 
in attending a, a ceremony, something like that, I would not want to unintentionally affirm what somebody else is doing because in doing that, I may unintentionally make them feel that it's, it's okay. And so as, as a pastor, I know um, I can teach what I know, but I'll reproduce who I am and people will look to me. So at this point in my life, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna attend a, a wedding or a reception of a, of a gay couple. Now, some of you are like, man, it's my son, it's my daughter, um, it's my grandchildren. They know where I stand. They know that we think it's wrong. We, we, they, we've had conversations about that. That's why I'm saying there needs to be a whole lot of grace. Like for some of you, like, like I get that. Like attending that wedding and doing that, like I, I get it. And that's why I say we're still wrestling with this as a church. Now, now what we can't do is be fearful. Because for some of you, I'm, 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 I'm afraid that if I don't, you know, do what they want or affirm their lifestyle or whatever, um, I'm gonna lose a family member. Jesus said to be a follower, it's gonna cost you. You are going to be put in the coming years in some situations with family members where it is a lose-lose situation. Following Christ will cost us. But as a church, what do we always wanna do? We always wanna stand on the word of God. And when other people are living different lifestyles, we're gonna respond with love, with truth, and with grace. Amen, church? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. I just pray for those in this room that, that are struggling. Struggling with their own identity struggling with their marriage. Got children struggling, grandchildren struggling. God, this, this is not an easy issue. And so God, at the end of the day, we're a church that's committed to standing on your word unapologetically. God, would you help us to have the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to know what it means to respond like Jesus. God, we don't wanna ever compromise your word. At the same time, we don't, we don't wanna focus more on the sins of other people than we focus on our own sin in our own life. And so God, help us in this. God, we love you, and we trust you, and we desperately need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.